0: Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev.
1: I'm Professor D. I'm Crockpot.
0: We have the honor of being in our ninth session in this series in Isaiah tracing the theme of hope in Isaiah, and tonight we are going to be in Isaiah 61, a rather famous chapter. It's a chapter that, uh, that you'll see quoted in the New Testament, and we'll go there where it's quoted. And So let's begin with a, a brief word of prayer, and we'll begin uh, tonight's session. God, thank you for your text. Thank you for the, the opportunity we have to study your word and to find meaning and purpose in, in the midst of your word, and we are so grateful, Lord, that you care for us, and I'm so grateful for my friend John and my friend Mick, and we're just so grateful to be on this journey with them. And I'm, I'm I'm thankful for their wisdom and and how you have blessed them intellectually. And and God, we just we just we praise you for being a good God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, like the last couple of times, we we're gonna do this interview style and. So for those of you who are brand new to our podcast, and I invite you, this is session nine. So you, you, if you're like me and you're kind of a completion person, you you might want to binge listen to all of our series. You can go back there in, in our episode list and check out sessions one to eight, especially check out last week's, which was the majestic and amazing Isaiah 53. You don't want to miss that one. But we're going to Isaiah 61 tonight. So the way we're going to do this is I will read the text and Uh, I'll send it to one of the guys here to explain the text, and then we'll ask some questions interview style. So let's begin in in Isaiah 61, 1 to 4. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, So we'll toss this one to our friend the crockpot. John, verses one to four, please.
1: All right. So last week we read a passage that was from a new perspective, that of the nation of Israel. Now, here we have yet another speaker, another perspective, and that is the perspective of the suffering servant about whom Israel was talking in Isaiah 53, the Messiah himself, right? The Hebrew word from which we get Messiah is the same word for. Anointed, uh, the Lord has anointed me. Okay, so that's this. This servant is speaking in this in this passage, and right here, the servant identifies himself as the Lord's anointed, the one in whom the Spirit of God rests. And here in these opening verses, he explains what he's going to do on behalf of Israel. So verse one is a promise of his role as redeemer and deliverer. He's come to liberate a captive people. Right, obviously that liberation. And that captivity has um, a physical, temporal reality as well as a greater spiritual reality with the captivity of sin and death, which has overcome the spiritually wayward Israel over these last centuries. Verse 2 announces the imminent justice and judgment of God that's on its way. Verse 3 he announces the coming replacement of Israel's and particularly Judah's suffering with a time of blessing and reward. And once that blessing and reward comes, they will, there will no longer be grieving, but rejoicing. And these people will be elevated to an exalted status. And then we move into verse four, where he goes on to talk about the renovation of previously destroyed cities. In other words. All the damage done to Judah and Jerusalem by the prolonged conquest of Assyria and Babylon, you might remember from our earlier episodes, we talked about that in in detail, all that one day will be reversed, and these destroyed places will be rebuilt at the word of the Messiah.
2: Thanks, John, for uh, starting us off with that. So my question to you just really quick is, again, going back to verse 4, Uh, where it states that they shall build up the ancient ruins and repair the ruined cities. And considering the the literal, physical, corporeal fulfillment of of the events regarding Jesus' life, which came Mm -hmm. to fruition in, in a most literal sense, would the more correct understanding of this be, again, physical, literal restoration of Israel as that earthly nation rather than as as the church, as a a sort of spiritual Israel, as some people have taken it to be?
1: Right, yeah, it's a good question. I I do think so. Um, I think that's what the context suggests. I think that's, um, especially when we're talking about the the rebuilding of these destroyed cities, um, I think that is what makes the most sense in the context of the whole story of Isaiah and what's going on there historically. There's not really any evidence in these passages that Being chapter 60, 61, 62, that there's anyone other than Israel in view, they're the subject. The Messiah's work is on behalf of Israel to restore Israel, literally. Um, and that's what's explicitly given here, so I don't really see any reason to take it anywhere else,
2: right? Except no, for I, yeah, no, <laughs> except for
1: the, the obvious reason, which is our our tendency as new covenant believers reading this, and you know, we know where. We know where it's going to go in the New Testament,
2: right? But
1: I think if we if we want to have that conversation about uh, because you're right now now it's the church who fills the role of the nation of priests that Israel is intended to fill here. But how exactly the church is born out of Israel and why and how God uses them to do this is a is a separate discussion. We have to look at later New text New Testament texts for answers to that.
2: All right. Well, thanks. I I, I think that was very helpful for me and our listeners. Hi, John. So my question is,
0: I want to, I I was reminded in my studies of this passage, how Isaiah mentioned the oak tree uh, one other time. It was back in chapter one. So that would be in session one of our series. I believe we touched upon that verse, but he was calling, he was calling the nation a place of evil. And he called them, they are an oak tree whose leaf withers. And Mm. so now he's giving them this great messianic promise. They're going to be oaks of righteousness. Mm. So now there's nothing evil or withering. So my question is, because we we get the idea from our last session, from Isaiah 53, that God has solved an issue. And actually, I think this is actually going to be a main point of our session today. It's going to come in this question. The more I think about it in Isaiah 53, God solved a major issue, which was how is he going to deal with their sin in a full and right. final way. Right. So now, especially those of us who, who, who belong to Christ and we belong, we, we follow God, we're his disciples. The big tension is how do we obey? Do you see in the way Isaiah transitions with the Oak tree, the Oak of withering leaf, now the Oak of righteousness, do you see here God not only saving, but now making obedience to Him possible?
1: Hmm. Sure. I mean, and what a what a comforting promise. You know, I'm I'm just thinking of of all the uh, there are a lot of different places in the Bible right now where um, images of of trees are are coming to mind, and they're almost always yeah, symbols of, um, of righteousness and holiness and, and health, basically, um, spiritual health, you know, think of the phrase, a tree of life, which, which crops up in Proverbs and I think Psalms and, um, the, the cedars of, of Lebanon are frequently referred to as kind of this, um, illustration of, of, a. a a, a pillar of of wealth and and health and you know um and um god has god has made a way for them to embody that and has made it inevitable that 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 will that type of figure somebody who's who can be called an oak of of righteousness you know think of just this um a, a powerhouse a, a, a pillar of of virtue basically um, god has has made it so that you are his people are called to be that and he will not only provide a way for them to do that but he will ensure that they reach that status
0: and we know that john you i think you're exactly right that, that god's going to make sure we know that because the very next verse is not only the oak of righteousness but one that is sovereignly planted by the lord right for his glory yep yep I mean beautiful. Dang. I mean, that that just sums up like the vast majority of all the problems we go through. And even if you work through them with biblical counseling, like the, all the hows and the whys and the why now and the why this, you've been planted. And yeah. I mean, wow. What what a great image there following the 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 wonderful text of Isaiah 53 to have this session to have this hope. I mean that that's this is this is this is great stuff. Not only
2: that, but
1: yeah,
2: yeah, if I can add my two cents in there, you know, the whole thing with the images of trees and agriculture, you know, the problem is like we who study the Bible, we who live in the city, I think we lose sight of how important agriculture is to the imagery of the message of what God is trying to convey, you know. We don't have trees going on here, we got locomotives and other things going on in the city, but in other parts of the world and in Israel, obviously, in this time where Isaiah is writing. It's agriculture that plays a big deal. So I, these figures really carry a lot more weight than what we city slickers think about.
0: Mm. All right. Well, well done, John. The opening section, very famous words, and you, you handled them nicely for us. So we continue with five to nine. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there should be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in in, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. And all who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring that the Lord has blessed. Mick, if you'll give us verses five to nine, please.
2: Yeah, thanks, Joel. You know, and as crock explained earlier in the section, you know, everything that comes here is basically, there's an, if you notice in verse two, there's a big and that, that comes into play there. And, um, you know, and here's the thing. The thing of that and is that, That's yet to happen. You know, it happens in a different time, you know. Um, And it's in a future time where Israel, and and this means both the houses of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Israel or or Judah, the southern kingdom, as well, because it's finally going to be restored to what God wanted it to be. And and we'll now be seeing an earthly fulfillment under the Messiah king. Um, Under Jesus, Israel will become that world power that she never really was and I say really because during the reign of Solomon you know they call it Israel's golden era but the truth of the matter is it was very short-lived Um, and at this point in history nations will serve Israel Um, Israel will serve as the spiritual leader of the world finally fulfilling the great purpose that God had for her all along I mean going back To Genesis chapter 12, you know, Uh, it says in verse six, uh, that she will be a priest. She will be the priest of the Lord. You know, the role that the church plays now, there will be a time where Israel is going to assume that mantle once again, as as she should have. And and what a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. Uh, Verse seven says an interesting thing. It, it, It says something about a double portion. So Israel will be enjoying a double portion of success. And why is that? We didn't cover this in this series, but if, you, if you've if you been reading along um, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 40, verse two, it said that Israel actually got double for all her sins. So now God is is double on the reward, you know? Mm-hmm. And and, um, and the point of all this, I think, is to highlight the justice of God. Now, wh- why do I say that? Well, because if you look at verse eight, it, it begins, for I, the Lord, love justice. And, and let's face it, None of us can stand before the justice of God, at least not before chapter 53. And, and that's why it's so important to jump at God's mercy and, and take hold of it while it's available. And, and as for the everlasting covenant in verse eight, well, that is the new covenant that God talks about in Jeremiah 31:31. Uh, the new covenant means, you know, for people who don't know, new covenant means actually New Testament, hence where we get the name for for what we call the New Testament. So covenant means testament. It's what Jesus was referring to when He when He instituted the Lord's Supper commemoration. Uh, and, and the beautiful thing about, about this covenant is that it that God establishes it unconditionally, not like the Sinai covenant. And and He He's gonna make it last forever. That's why He says everlasting. He has the power to do that. At this stage in history, with Jesus back. And in the world scene, um, the second time around, there there will be no doubt about God and what the Bible teaches. It's going to be clear. Nobody, There's not going to be any question or doubt anymore about who God is, period. Why? Because Jesus, the Messiah King, is going to sit on on the throne of Israel, and and he's going to be in Israel. And Israel is going to serve as his priest to the nations. And, And there will be no doubt about this to any of the nations of the world. It's going to be that obvious.
0: Hmm. I'll take the first question with here, Mick. You know, the if if I was if I was a, an original reader of this text and I read the word double portion and I was gonna get a double portion, my first thought would be, ooh, I get to be a firstborn son.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, mm-hmm. I get to have I get to have a blessing of a firstborn son. Yeah. So I, I wonder I if if as Isaiah Begins to land the plane on his majestic book of prophecy. I wonder at this point, if if the main point is something along the lines of, you know, how how is how is Israel one day going to be able to live like a firstborn son? And they're going to receive this message, this double portion. And so. We kind of get the idea, make I think from from Isaiah 53, that God is now taking care of their past. Yeah, their past failures are now paid for. Yes. By those wound, by his wounds, we are healed. Okay, so now he's talking about the future moving forward. How do you see here, Mick, in terms of God's sovereignty? Does God make it possible by means of this, this new covenant, as you say? Does God make it possible for now his people to actually live as faithful children as God originally was commanding them to live? And as
2: Isaiah was you know, spanking them throughout the whole book, does God's sovereignty I, I, make that possible? I do believe so. And in fact, I'm going to qualify that by saying I absolutely believe so. I don't see how else they could have done it. You know, it's the only way it could have happened. It's because God and yeah, the double portion. Yeah, absolutely. To the firstborn, you know, and and I meant to actually include that in there. And uh, in my final notes, I actually left it out. (laughs) But yes, I think I think it does bring that to the original readers as well. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Mick. Thanks for uh, thanks for connecting the dots there about the the double portion. My question, you pretty much answered my question. I was going to ask, why is God so determined to bless Israel so richly in light of how unfaithful they've been? Yeah. and and that
0: that preaches. That's, that's so
1: poetic, isn't it? What's that, Joel? Yeah.
0: I said that preaches. Why is ask that again? Well, why is God determined to be so <laughs> faithful, no matter how
2: bad they've been? Gosh, mm-hmm. that sounds like grace. <laughs>
1: totally, right. Wow. Totally. You're-
2: yeah, it's exactly. It's like you guys ask me questions without asking me questions because the answers were right right there.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Better just ask it and just let it sit there and just let, let your uh, absolutely be yeah. convicted by that thought. Man, so good, really
2: good stuff here, man. All right. Well, I, I realize I interrupted
0: your question, but if, okay, I said so we now go to uh, verses 10 and 11, and it says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as earth brings forth its sprouts, as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up Before all the nations. Well, I'll briefly take this section, guys. This is, this is, if I if I can kind of weave a theme through Isaiah, another theme. I know we've been weaving the theme of hope, but this is just one more time where God's servant, the Messiah, is either proclaimed or at work, and then the people respond in praise. We look back at chapter eleven. And a shoot's going to come up from a stump, from a dead tree. There's going to be hope from that stump of Jesse. And it was a great messianic promise. So then in chapter 12, it's a wonderful Isaiah song of praise. You get chapter 42. where We we, we hear about in the first part of 42, my servant, that my spirit's going to be upon him. And so chapter 42 ends with, sing a new song of praise to chapter 49. We get this idea of of the servant once again, the Redeemer and His Holy One. So chapter 49 ends with, so sing for joy, heavens and earth. And in chapter 53, the very famous suffering servant passage. So then chapter 54, sing praise, your maker is your husband. So now we have in chapter 61, Here's the wondrous things that God is going to do. God has not only healed your past unfaithfulness, he's going, to make your, he's going to make it like a wedding with you where your wedding garments are going to be salvation and righteousness of all things. The two very things he has provided, salvation from the wrath of God due to your sin and now righteousness you get to move forward in. And so now we have a song of praise. So it's like a wedding party rejoicing. This theme of in Isaiah has been woven tightly and efficiently, and it comes to this wonderful close here in Isaiah 61. That's what I got for this little wedding vignette, guys.
1: <laughs> That's good, Joel. Um, I got a question for you. Um, I hope it's not too weird. We'll see. So why why is it necessary for God to use a nation to bless and reveal himself to nations plural in other words why can't he just why can't he just directly bless and reach those nations himself and cut out the middleman as it were wouldn't that be more fair
0: a long time ago my wife and i went up to we went up to wisconsin and we were we 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 had purchased some kind of a timeshare package where you know it's you If you, if you visit one, if you visit their timeshares, you get to go to a water park and like, you know, Noah's Ark or whatever, one of the Wisconsin Dells parks. And then, then, but you have to, as part of the package, you have to go visit their, their timeshares and they give you the whole spiel. And what do they do? They send you to a sample timeshare and you go visit this model timeshare. Like, okay, this is the one you could buy. It'll look something like this, blah, blah, blah. Well, 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 I I just, that just jumped to my mind is that they want you to see how God is faithful what God can do and will do and how he will bless people who don't deserve his blessing, like you say. And it somehow was a good advertisement to purchase a timeshare. We didn't, but it was, you know, we we got out of there, but, but still, it it was the the whole message of that was, this is, this is what you, this is what you you can expect to get. If you get this, it looks perfect and everything's vacuumed and polished all that kind of stuff. Well, Israel wasn't certainly perfect or vacuumed or polished, but God's painting an image here where He's showing steadfastness to a people who certainly don't deserve his steadfastness. God is showing loving kindness and all these things. And that's what God's chosen to do. God God has chosen to bless one and through that one to now bless others. What it also says to me is that God cares for his children. Look how he's caring for this wayward son, the sheep that has gone astray. Look, Look how he now has provided for him. And so all of you who wish to be his child as well, as Paul would later say, to be grafted in. We first see God's faithfulness as if God's going to introduce himself as father, if God's going to introduce himself as husband, if God's going to introduce himself as leader of a family, then we expect God to take care of his family. We expect God to provide for his family. And then that's the kind of God that we can now either worship or not worship. So that, John, is how I think that God chose to bless one people and to save one people and to show grace to one people even when they were wavered like homers or like uh, like a hosea's gomer that that so, now speaks to all of us from the outside looking in
2: hmm. that
0: we get to see god's faithfulness as he as he deals with them even them and that, that that that's that's my on the spot answer to your question
1: that's good we learn about him in the context of relationship just like we learn about other people exactly you can't and, really and, and,
0: and that's it. a fair response john because that's how god designed it if God's going to call him my firstborn son or this is my certain, whatever. It's like, if that, if that's the, 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 if that's, if that's the, 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 milieu God's going to work in,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: if that's the paradigm he's going to use, then we expect him to flourish within that paradigm.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the things that really sets God apart from other gods is that he is all of his defining names and attributes and, And and various roles, they're all relational. He is only known and understood in the context of relationship, just as other people are. Like You can't make an informed judgment about a person without any data about that person's relationships. And for the kinds of relationships they're in.
0: Exactly. And and furthermore, I mean, you think of how Moses argues with God. It's like, why why would you bring them out of the exit just to smite them? You know, like, well, I'm going to start right. over, Moses, I'll start over with you, because, you know, they did this with that, that calf down there. I mean, G- G- God shows his faithfulness to Israel, and that, therefore, is a testimony of what he can and will do. So it's like, that, that's, it's, Moses kind of like, what are the nations going to say or whatnot, you know, and that's it. It's like God's going to lose glory in the eyes of, of, of man if he can't even do right by the people who he has redeemed and and then that is now a blessing to other people that god gets to show that it'd be kind of like saying i really care about somebody but if i don't care for my own son what would you think about that yeah i mean you're gonna be a blessing to others but you can't you, you you can't care for your own family i mean seriously i mean the one that you actually are in a covenant with or in a relationship with are you serious and yeah it's 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 almost like god not being a hypocrite there in a way totally,
1: so, totally. that's that's great, man. I was really curious where you were going to go with that timeshare thing, but you uh, you really delivered on that.
2: That was a, that was a great question, response, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm going to follow it up with another question. So you pointed out uh, the shift in the section here as in the prior section. So, so, this, there, so there's a shift in this section to an I speaking. Is this I that's speaking, is it I as in the nation of Israel during the millennial kingdom, or is this all believers of all times afterwards? You could even
0: argue that this is the servant speaking because he would also be clothed in salvation, as it were, and righteousness in his sense, you know, his, you know, his own righteousness. Uh, yeah, I, I would say to answer your question your question, is, is it is it Israel or is is it the church? Is, was that again? I, I got sidetracked. Sorry, Mick.
2: Yeah, yeah. If, it's, if it was I as in the Israel during the millennial kingdom or I as the church for all time, all eternity afterwards. Hmm
0: yeah you know honestly just just reading verse 10 and clothing me in garments of salvation it almost reminds me of and i haven't thought about this till this very moment but but it reminds me of revelation 19 11 to 21 the rider on the white horse shows up and behind him is a train of people clothed in garments and they're clothed in garments white and pure like linen and so these are garments that are they're representing the fact that they are now righteous and they are now saved to use this terminology. And so I think you can very easily see this from an end times perspective. Mm-hmm. And certainly the millennial kingdom will qualify as end times. But there's something about being united with this Messiah, whether you want to call him husband or call him Lord or call him savior or shepherd, that they would all apply. But once you're once you're with him, then salvation is now a part of that. It becomes your identity because it was his identity. And now righteousness is part of that. So I don't know if this is Israel. I don't know if this is all Christians, but what I can definitely say, it definitely is a future end times aspect.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, although, although Isaiah 12 does remind us of a future day where we're going to draw well from the waters of salvation. So that day does speak to a day like ours where, where you're no longer, he says, you're no longer angry with me. Uh, and so we do as, as as Christians who have the Holy Spirit God with us, that we are able to draw water from the wells of salvation even now, and we're able to experience peace that passes all understanding. And the God of peace will be with us. We're told in Philippians that kind of thing. And but yeah, so th- this this is also a present reality that we have that we have now. Um, if we take Romans at face value, that the, He He who had no sin became sin, and we became His righteousness. And so it's like the one who got sin gave us his right. It was this blessed transaction. So now we get to have this salvation. We get to work out this salvation with fear and trembling. We get to enjoy this righteousness, but yes, to answer your end times question that I would say shortly, I don't know, but what I do know is that whoever it is, is linked to the Messiah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, Galatians is clear that we, that Christians in Christ are now Abraham's seed and heirs according to this very blessed prom, set of promises, mm-hmm. the Genesis promise and now the ones that continue. And so, yeah, so that, that it, it, ha, it would either, it would have to be both, but it all is through Jesus, the Messiah. That's the only right. way it makes sense. So it would, it would be a blessing that both righteous Israel, and again, I don't know in a, in a Romans, you know, 9, 10, and 11 sense that this is all Israel, I don't know. And I don't know if even Paul knew when he was describing that, but in a sense, or if it was, if it's all, if it's Christians and Israel, because this is something we both get to claim Christ. Yeah. They as Messiah and we as Messiah and Satan. So, I mean, there's, I, I don't know if we can know that answer, but what I can say is it's linked to being with Jesus. And if it is at the at the rapture or the perusia, when it, when he comes back in Revelation 19, then then yeah, that would be a great, great scene. Being being clothed in those garments, and, and it's party time.
1: That oh,
0: well, was a very long answer to your very short question. but that,
2: That's all good because I think these are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about and and, and considering. You know, uh, and it's part of the process of trying to understand Scripture. You know, you work through it, and at the end of the day, the more important thing to understand is that Jesus is Lord, more than anything else. And with Jesus being Lord, we can trust that everything else will be handled right. Well, the, the blessing of this passage is
0: this is a passage unlike the uh, all the other passages in our series. Uh, this one was uh, literally quoted by Jesus. And so this is, we want what we want to turn to, we're going to turn to Luke chapter four, so we're going to leave Isaiah 61 and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 4. and in verses 16 to 30, uh, this, there, there, there's a scene um, where Jesus is at Nazareth. And so, um, yeah, let, let me read 16 to 30. And he, and then he's speaking, of, he's speaking of Jesus here in the context. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So just like with us, I know, I know, Mick, this is your thing. My thing is crispy critters. Your thing is, is the, the, the big numbers and small numbers in our chapter divisions. He obviously didn't have the chapter divisions here. So he has to like take his little pointer or finger and find in the scroll where it's at. Okay. And the scroll, of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Here we go. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And they said to him, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut for three years and six months, and a great famine came came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all of the synagogue was filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Well then. So what we want to do here is we'll uh, we'll start with John, then we'll go to Mick. John, uh, if you would just if you would look at just verses uh, the sixteen to twenty one, kind of Jesus quoting this Isaiah passage and saying, "Hey, it's now fulfilled in your presence." So if you would give us um, some instruction here on uh, on the fulfillment of of, of Isaiah and our, our Isaiah passage today, right and what jesus had to say in the, in this gospel scene
1: sure well i'll do my best and uh and the reason i say that is because i i really suspect this is one of those this is one of those where you really kind of had to be there to get the full impact because there's there's not a lot special that happens here at least in in his actual reading of of the prophecy but it's the fact that he read what he did, and as I say, like, I, I really suspect you had to be there. I would just imagine that the, the way that he read it and just the feel in that room just must have been so, there must have just been just this, this, such a heavy impact with the way, way that he read it. You know, these are, these are people who've no doubt attended synagogue their whole lives. And they've heard this passage read by numerous rabbis probably and now this rabbi gets up and where every rabbi before has opened that scroll and has read the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor now this rabbi is standing there saying the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me no no you don't understand that the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me so I, i don't know if I'm not saying Jesus was reading it (laughs) like that, you know, it's a bit on the nose, but he's reading this in the first person. He is, he is reading this with the full knowledge that this speaker is him. He is, this is about him and he's the first person who's been able to read this where that's been the case. And I'm just trying to imagine what that would have been like for him to, to make this, it's a, a sort of statement, you know. And then to sit back down and to say with everybody's, everybody's attention, just, just fixed on him for him to say today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And, and at first it says all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then things start to go sour. Once he starts to, once he starts to, to riff a little bit, you know, and start, start, making these connections to elijah um but this is the begin the very beginning of jesus's ministry okay and it's really important to remember the style in which jesus reveals himself as the messiah he doesn't make specific announcements or declarations i am i am the messiah i am i'm the christ i'm the long-awaited one you know it's it's always shrouded in mystery because he wants People to understand on a deeper level who he is and what he's doing more than just being able to acknowledge okay this is who he said he is and so i'm gonna i'm gonna follow him it's like he is a very specific method for making this revelation to people so he is the fulfillment of this passage that we've read in in isaiah 61 and he's basically just, just just, stating that, not stating I am the Messiah, but reading this passage and saying it has now been fulfilled, specifically up through the, the parts that he actually reads are fulfilled because there are other parts of these first four, four verses which will not be fulfilled until the second coming, the the day of the Lord's vengeance, specifically in verse two. And so he stops just short of getting to that point because everything up to that point has now been fulfilled with his coming.
0: Yeah, I, I like what you said there, John. Because if if he was reading this from the scroll and it was a Hebrew scroll, in verse one he would have said, "Because God has uh, the verb is Massah. so it's like the the, the Mashiach for, for Messiah, but the, the the verb form of it." So so he would be literally a re, he'd be literally reading, "For the Lord God has messiahed me." And we can imagine that, hmm. as you mentioned, the original rabbis would have said, you know, come, we, we pray for the Messiah to come, you know, c- come Messiah, come Messiah one day. Yeah, and Jesus doesn't give the standard answer there. He just says, it's me it's, or, fulfilled. it's now fulfilled.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the right.
0: Lord has a Messiah in me. And yeah. what's interesting here is that um, whether it is in Isaiah 61 or Luke 4. John, do you, do you see all three members of the Trinity present?
1: Oh man, let me. Yeah, I do. I was I was wondering if you were going to ask me about this. Ruach Adonai Yahweh. <laughs> the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's an easy one. Um, and then on who? The Son is upon is upon the Son.
0: Yes, the Messiah, right. the one who's right. God with us, the yeah. one. And who and is- then
1: and then to our to our earlier conversation, what does Son entail? Son entails Father. You can't have one without the other.
0: I mean, that is, that, that, that's a question for our Jewish friends. It's like, well, what do they, what do they do with Isaiah, mm-hmm. Isaiah sixty one one? I yeah. guess God just has a spirit, but but yeah, uh, from those of us who are from a Trinitarian perspective, it's kind of a cool moment. Totally. And, and that moment's not shortchanged in Luke four. So, so yeah, what a great moment for Jesus to say he's fulfilled. And, and that's not something that uh, they, they, they don't, they have an interesting response to And So Mick, we wanted to ask you, you know, thank you, John, for helping us with the fulfillment there and, and, and Mick there's various responses to Jesus here as, as I read and, in verses 22 to 30 of Luke four
2: well yeah it's funny because it's like uh i'm mean, gonna start off with a little bit of uh using myself as an illustration so it's, it's funny because uh, you know every so often you're in church and you know you run into people who you've uh you've worked more directly with in some ministry or other and you're there with your family because usually when you do these ministries you're not there with your family and it's um, you know so the, my kids will be you know my wife and kids will be there and they'll, they'll say oh hey it's good to know you know they'll start talking with me and, and in front of my family and like and I'll tell my, my, my wife and kids, wow, this Mick, yeah, he's such a great guy. He's such a, and then my kids, especially, uh, Elder won't do it, but the kids definitely were like, are you talking about my dad? You know, something about the hometown crowd that just never seemed, you know, it's kind of like a Rodney Dangerfield moment. It can't get no respect. And I think, um, well, let me go to this very interesting scene. So at first we see that the uh, the Galilean town folk, which is basically Jesus' hometown, these are the guys that went with Jesus to kindergarten. They saw him growing up. They're the ones that probably sold milk to him and his family. You know, they're seeing boy Jesus, now man Jesus. And so they're seeing him. And it's like at, at first we see the Galilean town folk saying like, oh, well, he's special, you know, with lovey kind of eyes. And or so it would seem. And then on the one hand, Jesus—it says there in the text—Jesus spoke gracious words, you know, and they were impressed by him on some level. When we, we when we like what Jesus says and or, or affirms, we love Jesus, you know. Kumbaya, love, love, love. Come to me, all who are who are weary, you know, burdened and weary. This is the Jesus that that pop culture loves, you know, and this was the Jesus that they loved, you know, the Jesus that kind of fit into their their panorama of what Jesus was and who he should be, you know, gracious words, Jesus. But, but then they bring up the fact that, you know, almost, almost kind of like, I would think a a sort of like, wait, let me, let's, let's knock this guy down a couple of britches after what we think we just heard him say, you know, isn't this Joseph's son? Almost as if to say, yeah, what you said back there was cute and all, but, but you can't be the Messiah. You just identified yourself with because uh you you know so we're just gonna pretend you didn't just say that like that you just did that or 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 later things like that he would say later like there's only one way to god what uh or or to become the guy in the bible who talks most about hell that's not the jesus we know that's not the jesus we want it's not the no 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 be nice jesus so back to, to the narrative they were struggling with what to do about that claim of him being a messiah, So first thing, it's like, wow, he's impressive. He's gracious words, and then all of a sudden they're they're struggling with the, with with him being the messiah, you know, Emmanuel, God among us, you know, or God with us, and, and and not unlike most people in the world today who believe Jesus only to be a a great teacher or a great person, but but he, you know he can't be God, right? I mean, he can't be God, you know. We can't know that, you know. This, this he's he's the son of Joseph, a, at one time. Believe it or not, that was us too. But, but Jesus presses the matter, you know, and, and, and you know, and he presses it. And like Israel then, and it goes the same for us today as well. We can't remain on this fence of either Jesus in the wrong box or undecided. And ultimately, and, and I go to, to, to Philippians 2, 9 through 11, no one's going to be able to deny the claim that he just made here, that he is the Messiah. Nobody's going to be able to deny that claim. The town folk got angry with Jesus, and we see this happening right here in this story. They started off with him being a gracious word kind of guy. Then they get kind of, dare I say it, I I won't use that language, but they get really upset with him, just like people in the world do today. They they tried to silence Jesus. And man, did they really try to silence Jesus. I mean, you talk about, they, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. I mean, talk about the original hardcore permanent cancel. I mean, this is it, people. Thought it was a modern thing by our millennials. Nope, not by the modern day haters. This was a thing that the Israelites already had down to science. And, you know, and no, they, we ain't got nothing on these people. I mean, again, they're trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. Think about that. And, and in light of that, it makes all the more sense why Jesus stopped before and the day of God's wrath or judgment. It makes a lot more sense now why he had to stop before he even got to that part. Because man, if God's judgment came upon them that moment, Joe, crispy critters,
1: indeed.
2: You know, and so long as as long as Israel focused on the outward appearance, on posturing, instead of being honest that they were the the blind, the the poorer, you know, as Jesus would later develop even more so in in the Beatitudes, you know, the poor in spirit, those the 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 people who are really down on their luck until you admit that, because that's what sin does. It really brings us down, but not everybody has enough sense to admit it. So, you know, until they were, they would be honest. They weren't ready for the day of God's vengeance because that would mean that they would be the first recipients of it. And and Israel was not ready to receive her Messiah. And it's clear here again, wanting to throw the Messiah off the cliff, you know, Israel rejected Jesus the first time around. If God's vengeance came then and there, Again, all of them were going to fall under God's wrath. And according to John 3:17 and 18, you know, the verses immediately after John 3:16 that no one seems to like to read, it says that God's wrath is the starting point of all of us when we enter this life. And prior to trusting in Jesus, that, that is our starting point, which clearly they hadn't at that moment, and many people today still haven't. And like Israel then, we all start off in the default setting of rejecting Jesus. That is until the Holy spirit reaches us with the gospel of the year of the Lord's favor.
0: Well, that, that was nice, Mick. And something, as you were talking about that, something stuck out to me about the two illustrations Jesus used because he no sooner used those illustrations that, like you said, they were going to cancel him. They were going to fin- you know finally cancel him, throw him off the cliff. He went to First Kings seventeen and he brought up uh, to your point, Mick, about you know Israel and his first coming. They 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 they, they well sh- shall we use Isaiah fifty three language? Yeah. They despised and rejected him. Yep. And but guess who didn't reject? Yeah. A widow, Azariah. Yeah.
2: The Gentiles that were brought in into the conversation. Yeah.
0: Amen. A Gentile woman who had no oil left, who just had a little handful of flour, and Elijah shows up and says, make me a loaf of bread. And then, oh, by the way, make something for yourself, too. And she's looking at her, her cupboard. She's like, I, that's all I got. Now me and my boy are going to starve. So she had to, to, to take stock of her situation, realize her helplessness, and respond with faith and absolute dependence upon God and God's mm-hmm. messenger, or Elijah. And she did. And then you look at Naaman, another Gentile who had no answer to his predicament. And he was told to go dip in the Jordan. This would be like in second Kings four or five, something like that. And he was told to dip in the Jordan river, which made no sense at all. But he had to once again, trust God who wasn't even his God at that point and trust God's servant. There's something about that kind of faith. Yeah. And now, and now tying it to, I guess we'll kind of close, we'll close this with hope here. Tying it to our text today is that. God was going to give Israel that at long last, they were going to be that light to the Gentiles. At long last, they were going to fulfill Abraham's blessing to the, to the Goyim. At long last, they were going to be that blessing to the nations. They were going to be the true firstborn son of God. But it was going to be through the Messiah. So now Jesus says, I am he. And now I'm, I'm calling upon you to respond in faith. Just like the two Gentiles did, because it's almost like Jesus is giving a spoiler alert. There's going to be Gentiles who are going to raise Did you say almost? It's not almost, Joe. It is <laughs> not at <they> all. An- <laughs> and so that gives us our hope. It's not a greater hope than last session. Last session had the greatest hope, that the hope that that, that Isaiah talked about that though your sins would be like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. That. By his wounds, we are healed, and there's a will of God to crush him, and he was crushed for our iniquities, so now we are considered righteous before God, and there's, there's no greater hope than that, but this goes right along with it. It's almost like the greatest commandment, and then one like unto it. Here it is. There's now a hope our sin has been paid for, and now we have the hope of being able to march forward as children of God. Because we are with the Messiah, He has now made it possible for us to live salvation and live righteousness. We now can live obediently. Whereas before, we were all stuck on our own paths. We were that sheep going astray, each of us to our own way. We will never, ever on our own be able to do this. But God, and God enables this. God enables our salvation. God enables us to live righteously. On our own, we never will. But God. And that's a wonderful blessing of hope we have as Christians. All those who turn to Jesus as Messiah, who turn to Him as Savior, who acknowledge Him as Lord and trust Him explicitly, that's a blessing we have. We not only have forgiveness of sins as the Lord has laid upon Him our iniquity, but we also are clothed in righteousness and salvation. We now can be oaks of that righteousness planted by God for His glory. Wow, that's a meaning of life moment right there, my friends. Hmm. This has been Masterclass Theology, session nine of ten, from Isaiah sixty-one wow. and Luke four. As always, I'm Big Rev,
1: and I'm still Professor D, and I think I'm still Crockpot.
0: Have a good day and God bless. <laughs> Bye.
1: See you.
0: This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.